Hey everyone, what's up? Welcome back to the CRM Podcast, episode number 27. I'm your host, Sharan, and I've got first-class rugby referee, helicopter pilot, and mental health advocate, Mike Lash. Roll that intro. Before we get started, I just want to make a massive shout-out to our sponsor, the first sponsor of the CRM Podcast, Ballsy. Ballsy is a clothing business run by a good mate of mine who's been courageous enough to open up about his feelings and talk to us about his mental health journey. He uses the word ballsy as a metaphor to get through life as a way to be ballsy about speaking about your feelings and to be ballsy about opening up in front of people that you normally wouldn't. His clothes are an icebreaker to spark that conversation about mental health with anyone wearing his clothes and I'm proud of him with the movement he's creating and it's an honour to have him sponsor the next eight episodes of the CRM podcast. Go and give him a follow, buy some kit, and show him some love. Hey, man, how are you? Good night, how you doing? Good, man, good, man. Um, thanks for jumping on, bro. Really appreciate it, eh? All good, mate, all good. Happy to. Happy yeah. to. I'm just to a few of yours. I'm just in, um, when I was in quarantine and just coming back from the States, I managed nice. to, I, I got on with one of your um, uh, potties, so I started listening to a few of them. It was good, eh? It was good. It's some good shit. Enjoyed um, Bobby, Bobby T's one. I've had a few good... If you're quite beers and yarns with him, so when you sit down and have a chat with him, he's he's good value. Eh? He is a good value, man. He's um he's he's a special character, eh, Bobby? <laughs> well, you'd have, you'd have to be to be mates with Willie Cribb, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. It was a different <laughs> breed, those boys, eh? <laughs> it would be nice to um not have come out of uh, quarantine and into um isolation, whatever you want to call it, and into. Uh, into a lockdown, but yeah, uh, is what it is. So, I suppose you would have been um, keen to get out and about and Nelson, eh? Enjoy the sunny bays, but you're you're stuck inside at the moment. No good. Well, mate, I was just also keen to um, you know, see the family. Um, haven't been able to do any of that. I've got mm. a dog that mum and dad, so I was quite keen to obviously go and pick him up. And then um, got a few months down home in the west coast white baiting, so I'm just waiting for us to go down to a decent level that I can get in the car and head off and do that. So. Um. Yeah, it's a bit boring. Yeah, I bet. I bet. No, that's awesome, man. I've obviously I've had a lot of a lot of footy boys on and and like that I went went through twenties and schools and stuff with, but I've never I've never had a ref on, which is it's refreshing, man. And it's good. It, it's going to be interesting to see your side of um your side of the your side of things and and kind of how you see things as well, which is going to be um, something that I'm keen on I'm keen on touching on, but um. I I started the podcast probably at the end of 2018, more so just to kind of um, get people to share their stories, especially in the rugby environment as well, because it's quite a taboo subject, I felt, when I was in there. And um, as you probably would have seen, I've had uh, quite a few boys that are in the super scene at the moment. So, um, yeah, again, pretty pretty excited to kind of hear about your rugby journey, especially on the riffing side. Um, but ultimately, your mental health journey, man, is something that I'm really really interested in and kind of I'm um, pretty keen on just letting you speak um, and if I have any questions I'll, I'll, I'll butt in but really keen on just listening into your journey and stuff bro if that's all good yeah mate um so ah uh, to probably to probably kill some time and bring things up to up to speed I I grew up uh, on the west coast yeah so a little place called uh, Waterra which is probably oh, about 20 minutes north of Franz Joseph Okay. So way way down in the countryside, um, and boarding school at Nelson College, and I'm currently living in Nelson at the moment. So yeah, boarding school there, mate, and didn't didn't achieve uh, first fifteen status, nothing like that. I sat on the bench, um, one game, which was fun, um, but never got on. But uh, just played up to sort of second fifteen footy and a little bit of junior rep stuff, and. Um, I I did a referee course in PE, just to like, I was just trying to get the old credits as quickly and as easy as I possibly could. So um, we did the course, and then we got to we had to go and referee a, like a junior oh an intermediate tournament um, to get the credits. And I I did all right. I ended up doing the final, and um, the guy that was running the course is was the local referee boss here. 
And he's like, mate, you, you know, I'm pretty handy at this. Would you be keen to do a bit more of it? And I was sort of like, as most Kiwi kids or Kiwi, you know, rugby boys, teenagers are like, oh, no, I don't want to be an all black. I want to play rugby or, or refing's gay, you know, it's like shit. Like who wants to be a ref, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then um, my PE teacher at the time was like, he's like, no, I reckon like, you've got to bounce this pretty good. I've got a good mind mindset in the game. And so I refed in the morning and played in the afternoon because back, back when I was at school, second 15 played at like two o'clock in the afternoon. So it worked, it worked perfect because you'd riff an under 14 game at 10. You could go back to the house, have a shower, get sorted, and then you'd still head off and play. And because you're only running around, you weren't, you know, you weren't sore or, or anything like that. And so I got pretty fit pretty quick with it. But at the same time, I got a lot of injuries um, through my school years. It smashed up my knees pretty well and some decent concussions. So um, it come to a point where the docs like, mate, probably just give it a rest for a little while. And I'd done like well enough for myself that I was 18 doing senior B, did mm. two stuff in Nelson. So I was like, no, oh, okay, I'll carry on with that. And to be fair, mate, it only really took off. It probably actually only took off about four years later. I just, did it at home. I went home to the West Coast after I left school and um, studied to do my helicopter license. And I was just refing to get fit and be active and be a part of the game. Yeah. And then when I headed down, I moved down to Southland. Um, so I moved to Southland the weekend. They won the uh, Ramfley Shield back in 09. And I basically walked into a seven-day ender. <laughs> Um, I didn't have to work for a week because everybody was celebrating. Yeah, but um, it wasn't until 2010 that it that um, when I got the say I got down to Southland and, and the refereeing sort of um, took off, and the local guys were a bit like, um, you know, you're not you're, do, you're doing pretty good. Do you want to crack at it? And I was like, yeah, okay. And then I got some opportunities to do like the um, well back then they had like under 21s and um, under 20. It was when you know New Zealand had the under twenties and under twenty ones teams before they sort of dissolved it to the twenties, um, and so I got to a few of those. And then I kind of got the bug from it, and I was like, you know, there's an opportunity here to to progress and and go up. And so twenty was it twenty twelve, yeah, twenty twelve. I got selected into the um, into the New Zealand squad. I'd actually done it was a little it was a bit funny. I did a a four week exchange to. Canada to Vancouver, which was pretty been? No, never been. Oh mate. Done real. Yeah. So good. Um, but yeah, I got there and I was probably there for about four days and I was like, I'm moving here. This is, this is I'm I'm sorting this out. And ref um ref the 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 premier grade in Vancouver because they didn't have a, a, like a national thing. And there was a lot of um a lot of Canadian like players, like you know, top national players playing in the comp, which was pretty cool. And uh, I actually sorted out a job as a as a tutor at a boarding boarding hostel, and they paid referees quite well. And like I, I basically sorted a whole lot of stuff out that I could easily just come back to New Zealand, get sorted with a visa, get back over there, and you know, enjoy it. Yeah. And about four days after I got back to New Zealand, I got the phone call that I'd made the New Zealand um, referee squad for for Heartland and and ITM Cup back then when it started. So I was kind of like ah. So I nearly ended up in um in Canada. So we we're building somewhere in the in the, the wop wops in the back of Canada this time. You know, right now if I hadn't have uh, hadn't have taken that phone call. So yeah, you would have um. I suppose now that you're in America, you're a little bit closer to that dream, eh? <laughs> well, that's it, mate. Like um, I've always been a big fan of American sports. Um, big ice hockey fan, and now since I since I'm while I was over there, ice hockey was um, was on, but they were under real big restrictions with COVID, um, whereas baseball was a bit uh, a bit more flexible. Um, so now I've sort of just I just went to as many baseball games as I possibly could. So that's one thing that's killing this lockdown is, is the baseball's on at eleven in the morning, so I can park up and watch that for a couple of hours and still reminisce. But I'd always wanted to go to America. Um, I just never thought I'd go there and be a professional referee. I thought yeah. I'd go on and change or go on a holiday you know yeah for so, sure what a cool prospect they eh? like america is one of the best countries in the world and i suppose to have our game over there doing so well it must be pretty pretty satisfying for you eh? 
No, it was it's really cool. Like it's this year was year four. So it's four four years. They tried pro rugby um way back and that kind of flopped. There was one guy trying to fund it, didn't have enough money, and then when they when they established the um major league, last year they only got five rounds in, obviously with um with COVID. But uh from the, it was a tough preseason for a lot of teams because they couldn't assemble because of the COVID restrictions, um, and and players coming in from overseas, a lot of internationals. So by the time the competition started, some of the guys were playing literally like warming up. Wouldn't and it was probably the third time they'd trained together on a, on a warm up. So from where the season started in terms of the skill level of the players and the referees to where it ended. It was a massive jump. Like just, it just as soon as teams started gelling, you know, their their shape got in, in place. You know, they got their patterns, they got their rhythms, their, their connections, their you know, their backline started gelling together. It just the rugby just took off, and it was quite. It was such such a cool thing to be a part of in a competition in a country that it's not their chosen sport. You know, like yeah. you and I obviously grew up with a rugby ball. Yeah. So these guys embracing a sport that they know nothing about was so refreshing. They're just happy to be there. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool, eh? What's the difference in, in rugby? Like how would how would a um how would a team there get on against, let's say, the Hurricanes, for example? Obviously the levels are uh, quite different, but yeah, it's probably it's more down it's more down um what is it now? Bunnings, one of ten? Bunnings, yeah. Um, it's more down that level. I think the Hurricanes would have a would have a decent. Although the LA, the, the team that won Los Angeles Giltinis, they had a star-studded setup. They had you know Matt Gitto, Adam Ashley Cooper, mm. Billy Meeks, Dave Dennis, Jake Black. They had quite a few um, ex-Super Rugby and English English Premiership players as well. So um, yeah, it's more it's more definitely more. Um, ITM, uh, what is it, Bunnings, NPC, than, than anything else. Some games would probably be easily be premiership level. Some would probably be championship. And then yeah. some may some may well may even be like a, a really good, decent heartland. It is it is quite brilliant. Yeah, right. Um, but I, I only see it growing and, you know, exponentially in the next couple of years and, and being quite a, um, quite a popular, but also quite a, uh, quite a skillful competition. Yeah, and that's good to see. I definitely think there needs to be another tournament or series out there that kind of gives kind of that part of the world that that higher tier of footy because I can definitely see the Eagles, USA Eagles, that is taking off in the next 10, 15 years, especially with the resources and the money. And they're, they're just um, they're natural athletes over there, eh? Yeah, they um they, they love their sports, mate. It's a, it's a country just just living or growing up born on sports it's it's the the passion that they put behind any code is amazing and to see to see what like we got through this season without we're having no games cancelled because due, due to the pandemic so there was 99 games from first game to final um which is an amazing feat you know considering other sports in america um you know had games cancelled because mm. of that sort of um, and even you know competitions like that now with, with here in NZ. So it was a it was an amazing feat just from the organisation to be able to, to be able to do that and the teams to um, stick to our protocols and, and and our restrictions and you know put on a on a showcase and even talking to locals just like they couldn't believe that the size of some of these boys that were rolling in from. Yeah. From New Zealand, from South Africa, from the Argentinians, um, a few island boys, and how they're just smashing into each other without helmets and pads and stuff. <laughs> couldn't understand it. And then, and even like, I guess often, like I said before, sometimes that you're a bit reluctant to say that you're a referee because someone's got a bad story about them or you know, someone hates them and referees are blind and deaf and all that sort of stuff. But when I said I was a referee for, for in the Major League Rugby, they were, the people were like, oh my God, like that, those people, they just blow up about it. And then they want to know yeah. so much about the whole game. And, and you can tell them that because the, I was based in Atlanta and the Atlanta team might have been playing that weekend. And you'd tell them and they'd be like, oh my God. So, and 
it come down and it's a, it's an event like there's a they do it so well there mate it's it was it was very impressive from when you arrive to the park even as a spectator mm. you know they'll have a band playing they've got their um uh, what do they call them tailgate where they'll park in the car park and have beers and cook a barbecue and stuff and play cornhole and that and then they'll go in and watch the game and there's you know, there's a band playing at halftime and there's, you know, drum, uh, the drum pipe bands or whatever, like drum lines and stuff going on it. Fireworks, like you wouldn't believe. That's yeah, wicked, then you, eh? Even they're back out in the car park having a few beers. No one's, there's no idiots, no dickheads. Mm. And the police are, like, the police are there present and they just, they're not doing anything wrong. If someone's an idiot, I mean, it's different there because you just get arrested and put in jail. So, <laughs> yeah. um, it was quite cool. And I compared it, I told a lot of people back home, like, you know, you go to an all black game or you go to um you know local npc game and more often than not you go in you wait in line for 20 minutes to get a, a two beers and, mm. and a pile of chips you sit down you watch the game everyone sort of yells and boos or if they're, if they're happy or not and then they leave yes yeah. it's, it's, it's purest but over there it's just a it's an amazing thing to be a part of that's cool it's, eh? it's, definitely more obviously as a ref and being in center stage with those with the 30 other boys but also as a as a tourist as well obviously you're not in your home country and you're experiencing these things for the first time as well it must be an awesome occasion yeah i i certainly um did as much as i could to embrace it and embrace the culture um and i originally thought when i when i was going over there i was i'll, I'll do a few sort of you know go to a different city and work out some cool things to go and see and do and then when i get the chance to come back i'll go and do them but then the more I got there, you know, the, as the more the weeks went on, I was like, nah, bugger that, I'm just going to embrace it and 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 be as um, you know, be a tourist when I when I have the time and I'm not working and I don't have to be serious about um the game, and yeah, mate, just going to sporting events that bucket list sort of stuff, you know. Um, I don't really follow basketball that much, but I went to the NBA playoffs games in Atlanta, and and it's just the atmosphere and that sort of thing is just it's crazy. I went to um baseball match on memorial day which is like like our anzac day mm. and you know they've got the they've got the flag out in the middle of the pitch the um singing the anthem the whole crowd's at it and fireworks going off and fighter jets are flying over and i'm just sitting there going <laughs> what the hell's going on like it's yeah. just they it's it's it was it was very cool i was there i was there working mate but i certainly made the most of um the downtime i had and, and actually sort of embracing what was around me and stuff so working are you uh scheduled to go back yeah yeah so season starts uh earlier next year which we didn't start till the last weekend of march because of covid things got delayed hmm. whereas this time around we start i think 5th or 6th of february so um i head back oh, january i think oh that's right you still get a decent nudge out of kiwi summer eh? Yeah, mate. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, I'm sitting there thinking daily that I probably should have just stayed there. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, and that'll be good. It's sort of it's a shorter off season, which will be quite cool, and especially for over there, it'll help the momentum. You know, we've just finished the league, and it's not long till we start again. So, um, and it and I think it works out quite well for uh, a lot of the locals here, yeah. um, and and abroad because a lot of guys wanted to go and play this season just been. But because it overlapped, because we've got the two weeks isolation, it overlapped with NPC. So right. a lot of guys couldn't couldn't commit. Um, whereas next year starting in Feb, it should finish. I think it should finish in June. Oh, so that's good. That that's might, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it might allow some time for them to um, be able to come back and still partake in, in the NPC and not worry about missing out. So. Yeah, that'll be good. Is it true that refs have to reach like an 18 yo-yo? What are the fitness requirements? Is, or is that a yarn? Um, no, 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 it's, that's true. So when I was in the national squads, the minimum requirement to do um, do the NPC, we'll do the, the Midas 10 Cup, was 18-1 yo-yo. Right. Uh, sorry, Bronco. No, yo-yo. 19-1 um, was to be AR on Super Rugby um and or refit um so yeah there was there was that was that was for males that the females was 
17 one or something 75 or something like that yeah um so yeah but then they've sort of shifted it it's more of a bronco score um right yeah um because a lot of people would get to 18 to two and just stop yeah 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 <laughs> mark so you get the odd you get the odd uh Oh, I'll call them wankers that would keep going through and do 20 or 21. And you're yeah, just, just show off. Yeah, you're like, mate, you, you've proved your point. <laughs> yeah. I remember it was the, one of the, it was my second second year, I think, in the national squad. And um, Paul Williams, one of, the, one of our pros at the moment, hmm. he ran a 21 5 or something ridiculous. He's, a, he's an oh, athlete, he's a professional trainer as well. So he's got a you know, few things up his sleeve. And I was like, just hurling abuse at him and trying to throw my shoes at him just to trip him up. So he, yeah, like, I didn't, I didn't get it. I got, I got, I got the, the tick, but I didn't, you know, just oh, that'll do. I'm yeah, yeah. Or whatever it was. And um, yeah, he kept going, and yeah, we were quite like, yeah, what a wanker. <laughs> that's um, yeah. I didn't realize they were so high. That's that's crazy, but it's definitely needed, eh? Like obviously you'd be at threshold, but then you still have to make a, a quick decision, and when the game's on the line. How do you deal with that pressure? I guess you train for it, mate. Um, you know, like they've shifted our trainings now. So for like for, for, um, for MLR, we've got to do a, a Bronco in under five minutes. Um, and it's about that endurance. I mean, we run on average, I think, I think sort of between five and a half to six to maybe seven, seven and a half K is a game, depending on the game. Well, I should rephrase it. We're moving that much. We're not running that much because mm. there's not slow play. But we, you got to be your decisions. They come to you like that. So if there's a you get an intercept and run hundred meters, but get mowed down, I need to be there to be able to you know, referee that clearly and accordingly. And I can't afford to get there, try and gather my breath, and then make a decision because play's already gone. So. Yeah. Fitness is a massive, massive part of it. It's that long endurance and being able to um, have a clear mind to, to be able to you know, make those decisions. And I guess it comes from experience. It comes from your homework. We watch a lot of, lot of footage um, around, you know, what we need to see at different phases. And so we matching, matching sort of our decisions with the pitches we're seeing, which then yeah. allows us to, to make a decision and then, you know, sell it to the world. So. There's a bit of bit of mahi behind the scenes, though. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Um, what's do, do you have any stories about any yellow cards or red cards that people have just given you a bit of a bit of lip and you've kind of given it back, or? Um, I I I have a yeah I'm I'm a smart ass by trade. Um, <laughs> I got three brothers, so um. There's a lot of wit and a lot of humor within our family, and yeah. um, I'm very quick-witted as well. And quite often, and it didn't didn't bode well for me at times, where someone would give me a, a cheeky remark, and I would quit back pretty quickly. As soon as I said it, I was like, oh. yeah. oh, I'll, "I'll get a phone call on Monday." Um, yeah. But uh, I haven't really. I've, I've my the probably the the a lot of fun I've had is refereeing my brothers over the years at different stages. My younger brother is boy. It pains me to say this, but he would be the best rugby player in our, in our family. Um, <laughs> and so there's been many a time where he's quite tried to, we're, we're, we're very tight and he's taught me a lot about the game from a player's perspective. And I've obviously mm. given him about the game from big picture referee sort of management stuff. And so there's times where I've refed him and he's tried to, he's tried to use my tricks against me. And yeah. I'm just, nah, it's not happening. Yeah. But uh, I put him in the bin once, which was which was um, very, no one got a photo, so it sort of otherwise it probably would have made the front page. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's, yeah, there's oh, mate, there's a lot of time I've had a lot of banter um, with, with players on the pitch, and it's it's a cool thing about refereeing is if you can bring yourself to the game, mm. um, it builds a lot of credibility for you. You know, you you, you sort of you players understand who you are as a person and i'm i'm been extremely fortunate and, and and grateful that you know rugby's done what it's done for me and i've got some lifelong friends that i've made that um you know aren't referees you know, i'm mm. very tight with a lot of the um kiwi boys here and i made some amazing friends in the states but i've got you know i've got a lot of um 
a lot of good mates that have that have come out of the game that are that are players and even coaches, you know. So okay. you can you can build that credibility with them and that trust. And 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 I've refed them many times since we've you know since we've got those bonds. And you know, whilst I I know that they're not if they're not happy with my decision and they let out a bit of frustration, as a referee, I don't bite to that because I understand it's frustration. It's not it's not at me. It's, mm. it's at the jersey or it's at the situation. And afterwards, they'll be like, oh, well, you penalised me for that. And I could be like, <laughs> you know, you're in the wrong spot, but, you know, or, or, or hey, don't, I didn't knock the ball on, but I'd leave me alone. Like, you know, just give them a little bit yeah. of banter from time to time. And it, and it sort of, <laughs> but there is a fine line. Um, there's times where you can say stuff as a referee and try and have crack a funny one and it goes down like a cup of cold sick. Yeah. And you immediately, you immediately lose the room. Yeah, right. So. It's a, it's it's a it's it takes a bit of bit of time, um, bit of experience, but also I think and probably where the uh, my mental health journey rolls into it as well. It takes a lot of self self awareness, self understanding, and internal growth. You know, if you understand who you are as a person, then you can easily bring that to whatever it is you're doing. Whether you're a rugby referee, a um, you know, a, a rugby player, a an athlete of any sort. A manager in a business, I think if you can understand yourself really well and your triggers, you know, both positive and negative, then you can bring that um, to whatever high performance environment you're you're operating in. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. Let's move on from the footy arena. You've just mentioned a little bit about your mental health journey. Uh, t- tell us a little bit more about that, man. Like I'm, um, I'm a new follower of yours, but mental health and using mental health as a vehicle throughout the podcast is something that I'm really, really big on. And uh, I just want to commend you for opening up and sharing your story. And it's something that I'm really invested in. So tell us more about your mental health journey, bro. Mate, um, I've always been, I've always been a passionate about the people um, around me. You know, I, um, I do anything for my family. I do anything for my friends. And I, for a long time, I hated letting anybody down. I had this massive fear of failure and which was, you know, I look back now, that's probably another way of looking at things. I, I look back now with a completely different mindset. Um, but but it, it stemmed from an incident um, at home on the coast where a, um, started 2009, where I was out riding bike, motorbikes with a few mates and a young fella was sort of in a town of, 200 people so everybody knows everybody hmm. so if if there's a you know a meet of any sort whether it's motorbikes or jet boats the town's there and anyway um to sort of cut a long story short this this young fellow was riding with us and he disappeared he went off with his mate for um riding his bike and they'd be gone a while and one of the mothers asked if i could head off down to just to see where they are thinking that that you know as, as young kiwi boys do that got their bike stuck in big bog hole and were just mm. up knees in mud, giggling and laughing and swearing because their parents couldn't hear them sort of thing. Mm. Um, so, so I went off to look for them, uh, look for the boys. And one of them was running along the, um, along the track. And oh, this is a bit strange. So what's, he's either just running back to get help. And I stopped to him and he was, he was panicking and he was out of breath. And he just told me that um, the young fella had come off his bike and he wasn't breathing. So, um, I raced on down to try and find him, and I, and I found him um, face down in a, in, a, in, a, in a pile of rocks. It was on a um, on a boulder bank, mm. so it was the, all the big rocks that they used to, you know, to boulder bank to withstand the um, you know, floods and stuff. Yep. And so I grabbed him, I got him out of the rocks, and then had to take all his armor and his helmet and stuff off. And he and he wasn't breathing; he was pretty banged up. Yeah. And so I had to do CPR on him until um, the other young fella had got the rest of the, you know, the parents and that. And it it was probably ninety seconds, two minutes that I was doing this, but it seemed like hours. And I was just just trying. I hadn't hadn't didn't have any um, qualifications in that in that area. My my best mate who I lived with at, at the time, um, he'd just done it. Um, we were both in the fire brigade, but he'd been there longer. He'd done his um, his, his CPR, his first aid certificate, and I was yet to do mine. Hmm. But he he told he told me as much as he possibly could. And then when the when everyone else turned up and they managed to get the local doctor, um, 
and the police and the fire and stuff turned up to sort of take over. It was quite a um, a real surreal moment in in time, and unfortunately, he didn't he didn't make it. Mm. So for a long time, um, I held on to that, and I just I beat the shit out of myself for it. I felt that I'd failed, and I felt that I'd failed his family and his friends and my family and the community and. I kind of just ran, like I bottled it up, um, something wicked, and I just kept burying it with trying to achieve so much more than, mm. not that so much more than what I, not that I, oh, so I was trying to achieve so much more that I wanted to achieve rather than what I needed to achieve. And right. I, what I mean by that is any chance to like be perfect, I was on it. and. You can't. No one's perfect. Mm. And so, mate, I, I from that I ran like I like this is rent like oh nine. So I um I left the coast. I came back up to Nelson to finish my chopper license off. Um, all the while just hiding it from everyone, hiding it from my family. Um, didn't do anything with the you know sort of the victim support stuff that was put around us to help out. I was like, nah, I'm sweet. I'm fine. Because, you know, as the Kiwi mindset is it's that, nah, she'll be right, or harden up, or, you know, you, you're, it, it, like, back then it was, it was weak to speak. Yeah. And so I just couldn't, I couldn't voice anything. Anytime I felt like I had an opportunity to say something, nothing came out. It's like those dreams when you're dreaming and you want to say stuff, but you can't speak. Yeah. Like that, it was just like, I wanted to open up, but just no words would come and it was just tears and I'd just have to quickly leave the room um, or, or go and do something else. So for a long time after that, mate, I I filled my pain with my successes, which which was wrong. It's totally wrong. Because it just it just buried this hurt and any time something else happened that I missed out on an opportunity it would it would bring a lot of the stuff back again and so then I just do the same thing mm. just pack up and run um, and it wasn't really until 2016 that I um, 2014 was probably a bit of a turning point I was down I was living down in Southland working and I was so lonely. My um, family was all up in Nelson or on the West coast. And I was just alone in my own home. Um, I was trying to invest so much in rugby that I was sacrificing so much more of me. Mm. Um, I was alienating my friends. You know, oh, come to the pub for a beer and watch rugby. Oh no, I've got, I've got to review this game. I've got some footage I've got to watch. It was yeah. bullshit. Absolute bullshit. Didn't have to watch the game. I didn't have footage to watch. I just made these excuses because I didn't want to put myself in a vulnerable place. I was happy hiding away in the dark, and I ended up at the end of the 2013 uh, NPC season. I invested where I lived. I was quite a wee way out of uh, Invercargill, and you didn't get paid much to be a ref, so I invested. Four or five thousand dollars, just getting myself back and forth and around. And it wasn't until December, twenty thirteen, that I spent three weeks in my house with no power because I couldn't pay the bill. Hmm. Helicopter pilot is, is a great job, but it doesn't pay well when you're when you're a low time one. So, um, I kind of broke down to my parents on the phone. Just I'm lonely. I need to come home. I need to come back here. And that was a that was like a, a bit of a turning point. Um, but then when I got back to, to Nelson, I felt like I was starting afresh again because I'd been away from the place long enough that people hadn't, couldn't see the scars. Right. I got to fill those cracks back in without anybody sort of knowing. And then rugby was, you know, going fine and it was cool to be back with some school, schoolboy friends and that. Um, and then 2016, Sort of really, that's when it all come to a head for me, and and I had to, I faced my fears. I, in the space of about two weeks, I got um. It was it, well before that, like the, this whole thing was starting to consume me in terms of my on-field performances. So I was 
refereeing might have tinkered up and I was sidelined Super Rugby and I was kind of on that trajectory to, to go up with Super Rugby was expanding from 15 teams to 18 mm-hmm. and you just expected to take, I think, three more referees with it. Sorry, four, I think. I can't remember. So I was in that band and I was on the trajectory. So, of course, I was focusing so much on that and trying to be perfect and trying to ride the coattails of, of that success and totally just ruining myself as a person. Yeah. I was trying to live through Mike Lash, the referee, rather than Mike Lash, the person. Person. And it, I ended up getting deselected, would probably be the best way of putting it, rather than going from, we were called the Super Squad, so we were doing this, sort of doing this ARs for Super Rugby. I went from being in that to not going to a professional contract, but actually going down and other guys coming up within the national squad. So I got deselected from that uh, relationship that week, got home and she'd left. Um, and a current job I was doing, I wasn't flying, I was working in an office in town and I got uh, laid off from that as well. So about nine to sitting in my, in my um, house every yeah. night. And it just, it just, it ruined me, mate. It just put me to a point where I was just sitting at my house, uh, my dog, like every day, I could just see in his eyes that he could see my pain. Mm. And, but I would, I still had my job and I was seeing at the end of the contract, but losing my position in the refereeing squad, we were, we were actually on a retainer getting some decent money. That was gone. So it was a massive pay cut slash also unemployment. Um, I've got to shit. I've got to you know front all the bills now at home as well, mm. and I just started drinking. I just I would go to work, go to the gym, go home, drink, rinse mm. and repeat. And I just sit in the dark. I, I can't I can't watch movies in the dark anymore because it just reminds me of um, yeah. of that. I need to have the lights on. I need to be in a bright bright place. And yeah, mate, I just there's so many different things that triggered it, and I just I was like, I I've got to I've I'm struggling. I've got to do something here. And it was a, um, a whole turn of events. I, I opened up to my older brother first and told him I'm struggling. And then um, I went on the depression.org.nz um, website and did the, the questionnaire. And I was in tears after two, two um, questions because I knew I was like, I, I, I'd be battling this demon, but I knew I needed to. I needed to front it. I needed to to acknowledge it, yeah. and it just hurt me because I felt like I needed to do it. But I knew in my mind at the time I was letting so many people down, and that was the biggest struggle. Was like I was trying to swap putting myself. Or put, I was trying to swap putting everybody else first and myself, and I was mm. trying to do it. And for me, it was so hard because. Like I said, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a people's person. I I care about my friends and my family. I was the kind of guy that I would run to the finish line. I might get there first, but I would wait till everybody got past before I jump over. Um, and so I had to shift my mindset that I need to get to the finish line and welcome everybody like with me. And it took a lot of time. As soon as I went to counselling, um, it just it and opened up it was a massive turning point. And I think and I've spoken about it on a lot of other podcasts and I wrote a blog while I was in the States. The biggest person you can open up to and acknowledge to is yourself. Mm. And I think once you can accept it, as Susan was for me, it made acknowledging it and opening up to everybody else so much easier because you were at peace with the acknowledgement, if that makes sense. You may not, you know, you still have a lot of work to do, but you were like, okay, I've got, I've got depression. I've, you know, I've done the counseling, done all that sort of stuff. I have depression. What am I going to do about it? What mm-hmm. can I do now to get myself where I need to be? And yeah, so it was kind of 2016 that really started that journey of um, rediscovery. Mike, Mike Lash was always down in, in underneath. Yeah. But I was just putting layers of shit on 
the fear of showing any of those cracks. Mm. And it's it's been it's been the most liberating thing I've ever done in my life. Crazy. Yeah. Wow, what a story, man. Um, that's if we touch on a little bit around that bottling up. I'm, I've been guilty of it before, um, plenty of times when things haven't gone my way, um, whether that be in footy and life. Um, like I've got, I, I was deselected from uh, the twenties in my second year from the World Cup. Didn't make it two years in a row. Didn't have a sniff at Super Rugby. Didn't play it like played two or three, a handful of games for my ten. My like my nana passed away. Um, I definitely wasn't at the severity of. Of, of your journey but i can definitely see how easy it is to f- to fall into that loophole and bottling it up is something that i'm guilty of but i think a lot of people are guilty of and it's um it, it takes a lot in someone to firstly recognize that something's wrong but secondly having the strength to admit to yourself that something's wrong i think that's that's a big it's a big part of it as well, especially when I talk to um, people who have gone through a few things, they struggle to accept it because they don't want to accept it. But I really like that point that you brought up that the, the biggest person that you can, I suppose, prove to yourself or admit to yourself that something's going on is to yourself. Um, man, I commend you for, for that journey. So at what point did you kind of think i know you, you kind of touched on it but man I've, I've really got to do something about this and and what made you go and look for help um i went um well, like i said before i grew up on the west coast so very much an outdoors man my my place is 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 in the outdoors um and i'd lost that i hadn't been outside fishing for a long long time i love i love fly fishing i can stand in a river for hours and not can catch a thing and be totally at peace Mm. and it wasn't till really then that um i went fishing with a mate he had no idea um what i was going through and how i was feeling and i just remember standing in the river because we were fishing a few way apart and i could just feel i could just sort of feel a lot of pain um kind of just like washing being washed away, like as the as the water and the rapids came through my legs, I could just sort of feel that I was back where it's, it gave me so much confidence and mm. it gave me, it grounded me that I was like, Mike, you know, you're fine, you can get through this and, and fueling myself with um, these positive affirmations and these, and these positive habits certainly helped. And then from there, it was just, it was a, um, it was talking to the right people. You know, I, I spoke to a counselor and a therapist and stuff and stayed with them for a long, long time. Um, I opened up to my family and um, I opened up to my, my referee coach who was, he was instrumental, mate, in, in us kind of getting me back to where I needed to be personally to be able to perform in my occupation as a referee. And the more I did that, and the more I realized that nobody gave a shit if I ruined, if I refed poorly on Saturday. My parents, my family have supported me 100% my refereeing career. And they didn't give a fuck if I refereed bad on Saturday. Yeah. They just wanted me to be me and be joyful in what I do. And that was it. At the end of the day, the only people that matter are those ones that care about you the most and they just want you to be happy. Yeah. And once I started you know, shifting my mindset to that, it just, it built, I, I read a lot of self-help books, um, for want of a better word, um, and they just gave me tools. And I looked at what I could do from refereeing um, to pull back into what I can do as me, because I was doing stuff on the rugby field that just wasn't me. And it just, mm. it hurt because it would, it would hinder my performance and you know we're the, one of the most scrutinized people on the on the pitch you know you knock a ball on your teammates will go next task next task you jump back into position play on hmm. if i miss a knock on that leads to a try you know i'm not allowed to back in waikato because <laughs> you know sort of stuff so when i 
dug more deeper into who I was as a person and how I could use my um, traits, it allowed me to referee more or express myself more as a referee. Mm. In turn, after that, I probably refereed some of the best rugby I had in that whole um, in the whole uh, national squad up until I wasn't reselected in 2018. So uh, I wouldn't change a thing, mate. It gave me so much self growth, um, and I look at things so much differently now. In the sense that a lot of you know, there's times in my life where you know people go, oh, "I wish I'd done that. If I could go back, I'd do that." And yeah, I used to think about it that way, but I also shifted it now that um, like people say that they are. They are who they are through what they've been through. And I I sort of shifted to the mindset that I what I what I went through is a product of how I choose to live now. Hmm. And rather than looking back going, wish I'd done that, it is what it is. At that current time when that situation happened, I relied on instinct and, and all the knowledge I currently had at that time to do what I did. Three years later, I'm a completely different person. Yeah. So if I looked back with the current skill set, yeah, you want to do this. You want to say something different to that person, but you can't because you're a completely different person. So I'm trying to shift now, still working on it, and I will continue to work on it. Um, but just looking at being in the moment, finding joy out of out of everything. And I think that's another big shift for me about being um, happy. I, I'm happy in my work. I'm happy in my play. I'm, um, you know, and that sort of stuff. But rather than, uh, sort of happiness for me is an outcome of what I've achieved. People, a lot of people say, if you do this, you'll be happy. But if you don't do it, you're not. Yeah. So what I kind of look at is finding joy in those moments throughout the day. And then if I go to bed, I'd be like, yeah, I'm happy with that day. That was a good day. That's cool, man. Rather than be rather than try and seek happiness, because if you try and look for it, you'll miss out on all the good stuff. Yeah, 100%. If you were to give someone one piece of advice who is kind of at that breaking point where you were, where you wanted to say something, but like the words just weren't coming out, what would you, what would be some wounds that you would give someone to either elevate them forward to, to open up and be courageous enough or kind of just for a little bit of, um, self-affirmation positive positive reinforcement i'd probably ask them what if what if it turned out better than you realize what if turning that corner becomes the best thing you ever did Mm. there's so many people get to that crossroads and they don't want to take the hard road which they they which which is a hard road to to get yourself back to where you want to be but what if you did? Yeah. It worked out so much better than you could think it would. Yeah. Because it, it certainly did for me, mate. It certainly did for me. I Like I said, I wouldn't change it. It's Depression is not fun. Um, you know, the anxiety attacks I had throughout, you know, when I was at my, in my the deepest side of it weren't fun at all. Mm. But having gone through that, I am very much at, peace with what it taught me and very happy very happy with that if i sat here now and look back very happy with what that gave me and very excited about what the future has in store yeah, whatever for sure for sure and so that, i would tell them what, yeah what if it turns out better than you think yeah, exactly and I suppose when you look at it, that that's more about perspective. You know, life's all about perspective. You can always find a silver lining in something. There's always a positive and a negative. And that's probably one of the biggest learnings that I've taken from, from your journey uh, tonight. Talk to us a little bit more about uh, the Wayback blog. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, mate, um, it's funny that I've, I've sort of I finished my last one. I was going to probably post it up tomorrow or the next day. Um, but when I was, I wasn't, the, so in the, in the New Zealand national squad underneath the professional guys, um, it's, you're selected on a one-year contract. 
So they're usually picked at the start of the season, given the contract, they'll referee club rugby and then they'll do the representative stuff. And at the end of each season, um, you have an interview review. And that's basically to say whether or not, yay or nay, you can come back next season and, and be a part of the squad or not. Yeah. So you're very much, you're very much on show in the NPC and you're kind of fighting for the right to come back. You're not on a two-year contract. That you just you know, if you have a bad game, you get in the bees, you come back up, and it's all it's all roses. So there's a very small window for us to perform. And in 2018, in 2018, I wasn't reselected for the um, national squad. I was probably one of the most experienced guys in there. Um, but as I sort of said before, others were coming through, and at the time there was some disappointment. There was probably a few, if I was to be um, selfish. Uh, there was a few milestones that I was quite keen on achieving. I was mm. on 43 first-class games, so getting to 50 would have been cool. Mm. But I was also very much at peace at it because I couldn't see myself in a test match. Mm. I, I, when I first made this referee squad, I sort of had this – I envisioned myself being in, um, in a stadium refing a team in black and a team in blue, mm. and I was wearing white. And my debut NPC game was Wellington uh, Bay Pinney in the Capitan. And I was wearing pink. That was the only difference. Yeah. I couldn't see past that. I couldn't imagine myself riffing in Eden Park uh, in, a, in a World Cup or Murrayfield, you know, a Six Nations game or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I was very much at peace with them saying that that's your, that's your done for, in the national squad. And... I was. I, I guess I'd probably already accepted that when I shifted my mm-hmm. mindset, when I took my turn, and you know, to get towards positive mental health, that whatever happens, happens. My family's happy with. Is it? You know, it's fine. They don't care. I've got nieces and nephews, so I, which I adore. They're, they're my kids essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gave me more time to to be with them. It gave me more time to do me. So fast forward to this time last year. And I got a phone call from Jonathan Kaplan, who was one of the world's best referees. Um, and he's the boss in the major league. And his two I see is Chris Pollock, um, mm. Kiwi referee, and, you know, one of our best. And they wanted to know if I wanted to go um, to the States. Well, I spoke to, spoke to Polly, and Polly said, you got some unfinished business in this setup, don't you? And I said, yeah, I do. Yeah. And so they asked if I wanted to go and do this. So for me, it was my... It was my way back into refereeing first class slash professional rugby. So I kind of felt that I would um, put pen to paper and start typing on the computer um, my journey back to from where it started this time last year, getting a phone call um, to going through um, through the you know through the time the four and a half five months in in America, but also going back to glimpses of my life where I had these moments that have sort of built up to being there. So yeah. um, it's funny, mate. It 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 was quite cool. I, sharing my story, I'm not after um, yeah, I'm not after affirmation. I'm, I'm not after um, likes on Instagram or anything like that. If I can change. Um, the life of one person, um, I'll be happy if I can influence one person to to take that path. Um, mm. Then I'm happy with it, and it's been so rewarding and quite emotional at times when I'll share something and a friend of mine will message or someone I've met throughout throughout my journey, and it's like, mate, I needed to hear that. I've been battling, and it's like, I'm, I'm all ears, brother. Talk to me. Yep. So it's been super rewarding. Yeah, me sharing my story. And then I guess, yeah, the Wayback blog was just my journey way back into rugby, but also my journey of, you know, through depression and, and sort of back to well-being. And to be honest, mate, in turn, I think that I sit back and think about it now is I think the person I've actually only really told that story to is myself. Yeah. Because the more I've unloaded onto the keyboard, um, the more I've unloaded of myself 
And I feel that by putting all that to paper to um, on the blog, I have I've kind of I've got my story out of me, and I feel so much lighter. Yeah, liberated for it, and I feel that it's almost like now I can move on. I I will always have depression. We we will we will experience it in a different level, and I will, it will always be with me. But it's something that I choose now to live with rather than fight against. And by me chucking that stuff on um, on paper, has has is it's like it's left it behind. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely find journaling and writing things down is definitely a good way to. Like you said, let things be, essentially. Mm. Like, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. That's exactly how it feels, mate. It feels like I've just been like, let, let things be. That is, I, I'm very comfortable with who I am and how I choose to live. And being in America has certainly opened my eyes up to a lot of that. I mean, by by doing that journaling and, and blogging, and traveling the country, um, and seeing sites and having time to myself. It allowed me so much internal growth that I'll be forever grateful for. Um, and so, like I say, I, I'm, I'm at a point now where, you know, I'm very excited about whatever happens. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm an is what it is guy. Yeah. If it rains, then it rains. You can't control it. It's just, <laughs> you can't, you know? Yeah. So, 100%. Um, I just want to quickly touch on, like, you, you made a comment. A few minutes ago that you're not in it for for attention or for likes and stuff and and that's 100 transparent um in fact you're actually doing the opposite and you're actually empowering a lot of people and i don't think you quite realize that for for, for this example you and i've been chatting for an hour and like my heart's full uh, i'm proud of you um you know I've, I've only been talking to you for what albeit a week and man like this is the type of stuff that I really, really love, especially about podcasts and sharing people's stories and people opening up about their battles is that it brings people together. And as you said, you're a people's person, but you and I both know, and and, and all these listeners know that mental health is not a joke. And, and when people, when people eventually open up, there's not one person that will say, Oh, really you you too you know type of thing like everyone's going to rally around you there's going to be no negative no negative space it's all going to be positive and man i'm glad that i've taken the time out of my day to like if, if this wasn't recorded i'd still feel the same you know what i mean like i feel empowered yeah. my heart's full um, i'm proud of you and, and and i'm a big fan and i just want to say thank you thank you as a fan thank you uh, for jumping on uh, thank you for being courageous enough to open up and share your story to empower others. And that's exactly what you're doing, man. Really, really appreciate you. I appreciate that, mate. It's, um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's not weak to speak and it's, it's, it's okay to not be okay. And I think, I think we've certainly turned a country, uh, turned a corner in this country. Um, you know, the, 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 we've still got the tall poppy syndrome stuff that we need to probably shift our focus to once we've, got this mental health stuff in check um but i think that's certainly helping to bring that barrier down i mean you know as well as i do the pressures that you face in those high performance environments externally um aren't aren't fun um and i know you know a lot of the athletes have spoken about it in the last wee while about the pressure they get from social media um comments and stuff and, and you know direct messages as a referee we know different we get them we get them all the time and it's it's not nice um but to have those people around you that like you said will rally as soon as you share and i think we've you know that it's so powerful mate it's like yeah. i i'm i'm extremely grateful for the friends i have the friends i'm making um and the connections because i think we've got the power to change the world and if i can leave this world in a better place than what it was when I came into it, I'm pretty happy with that. So, like I said, if I can change, if I can help one person, um, you know, we're doing something. Absolutely. 
let me know when you're in um when you're in Auckland. Maybe before you fly back out to, to the States, hopefully we're out of lockdown, we can catch up and have hey, a I'm not on. coming anywhere near Auckland. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. No, definitely, mate. Definitely. I'd love to catch up for a beer and carry on the convo. And awesome. um, mate, just to segue back to you, um, thanks for having me on and keep doing what you're doing because you know, the stories that you're currently sharing with others and the story that you're sharing with yourself are um you don't realize it, but you're helping people turn that corner too. So, um, mate, you surround yourself with good people and only good things, uh, good things will come. Absolutely. 100%. Again, man, appreciate your time. Um, time, mate. You're a legend.